0: You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 313. And I'm here alongside my awesome guest host, Qasim Awesome Qasim Aslam. I'm still not pronouncing your last name right, I know, but I'm trying. By maybe episode 515, if we get that far, I'll be pronouncing it right. Well, Welcome back to Perpetual Traffic you added in the awesome which makes up for it
1: so all right well
0: yeah that's good it's good whether it's the first name, the middle name either way just having it in there somewhere i think is is
1: good yeah
0: speaking of good we're getting back to some uh hitting on some good results that we got from you the perpetual traffic listeners some really interesting stuff about like what are the things that you need to help grow and scale your business and what are your biggest challenges or frustrations you're facing in your business right now and although scaling and growing were certainly part of that it's sort of the overall theme for sure i think a lot of people listen to the show obviously to scale and grow through paid traffic and we talk a lot about that but what happens when that paid traffic really starts to work oh my god that means you've got more business and if you're a service-based business or maybe you're you know, you're a factory that has a production line that needs to add more people because you've got more orders all of a sudden, you're going to need to hire people, right? Uh, we talked about back a few episodes ago about the fact that it's really important to have processes and systems in place in order for the people that you hire to know exactly what to do. So you have a replicatable. Or replicable. I never know which word it is. Replicable or replicatable. I'll just say it both ways. No, replicable.
1: Uh, it feels at least there's more syllables, so it feels that's heavier. right.
0: Yeah. yeah, it feels like I'm kind of missing a syllable or two, but replicable, but replicable processes that, you know, you can consistently deliver over and over again. Obviously, uh, cause of myself being agency owners, that is, it's a highly people-based business, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for our employees, it's like this stuff doesn't get done with a computer program where you press a button and everything just magically works. So you need people that understand those processes. So the question we sort of raised in, in last week's episode was, what do you do first? Do you put together the systems and the processes first, or do you hire the people and then put the systems and processes in place? And we sort of left that as an open loop with me and you maybe not agreeing 100% on that. What What is your sense on that? Gossam. And like, what's the right way for people to sort of think about this way in which they can grow and scale their business through getting results through other people within their
1: corporation or within their business itself? My soft opinion, which I'm wide open to being challenged on. And, you know, I mean, I guess before I dive in, I'm going to, I'm going to give our our audience context. Okay. Because Ralph is the believable party. He has the bigger agency by a significant margin. You've got what, 60 employees? Something we've lost track. It's yeah. sixty something at this point. Sixty and change. I've got forty. And you just cards on the table make a lot more money. You're more famous than I am. So so if we disagree, I, I think, think that- you're way better looking. So that's just <laughs> you
0: know that has so much. Yeah. So it's much. The hair. Yeah. It's it the hair. The Way better know. hair.
1: There's no doubt about the hair. You win hands down. there. <laughs> so I, and I, you know, I, I'm actually putting jokes aside. It sort of bugs me when people come out with advice and then I find out, wait, I make more money. <laughs> you know? So I want, I want people to know where where we're landing here in the hierarchical structure. That said, my opinion is you have to have the skeleton of the process in place before you hire. And I think, I think the reason I believe that so strongly is because when you hire somebody my go to has always been to try to overwhelm them. I want to see how quickly a new hire cries uncle and it's actually an important trait in somebody to say, "Hey there's ten things i can there's ten units in a day, and you gave me eleven units worth of work. If someone doesn't do that, if they suffer in silence and they just try to like you know uh, grit their teeth and 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 bear through it, they're going to at some point drop the ball, get overwhelmed, whatever, and no longer be a reliable resource for you and In order for me to practice that, I need to have just the scaffolding. I don't have to have like the whole thing built out top to bottom, but I have to have the scaffolding of a process so I can, I can begin throwing stuff at them and see, you know, how well they do on this little treadmill of life. And and when they start to, you know, come back to me and and communicate, because I think that's really important, especially because all my employees are remote and a lot of us are in that environment. So I'm going to pause there, Ralph, and and ask you to, to beat up that ideology a little bit.
0: I think it depends on your personality. And I think with most of these like business type questions, and I don't think that revenue is a measure of success in any way, shape or form in business. I get this from my wife all the time. She's like, why do you want to build it bigger and bigger and bigger? Like uh, when is enough going to be enough? Because quality of life and enjoying what you do every single day is more important to me than money. Having said that, though, when you're not making any money, your quality of life probably isn't very good. So that's the thing that you really want the most. You want to be able to pay the mortgage. You want to be able to pay the the health insurance here in the U.S. So you take all those like basic necessities and you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You take those away. Once you reach a modicum of success, it's really it's about how can I build a business. And how can I do things in my daily work? Because chances are you're going to be spending more than 40 hours a week, especially if you're an entrepreneur doing it. You really want to enjoy what it is that you're doing. And does that mean that more size, more people, more revenue equates itself to happiness? It's different for everybody. Like it really is. I mean, for some people, it absolutely is. So Anyway, enough on that itself, but just on experience from my perspective, I think when it comes to hiring, when it comes to, do you put processes before hiring or hiring before processes? My guess is it's personality-based. I think you are far more of a systems type of person. I'm more of like a get shit done, just do it kind of person. I mean, I do know that you need sort of a balance of the two. But for me, when I started to hire and I go back to you know, when it was just, you know, me and a VA in my basement, although I'm still in the same basement, um, just more people <laughs> than my VA. But my point was, is like when I hired her, I had a vague idea of what I wanted her to do. And she's actually still with me to this day, believe it or not, which is awesome. So um, you your
1: first hire you?
0: still here. Yeah. Dude, that's, yep.
1: that's awesome. Good for you. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, 13 plus years.
1: Wow. I'm going yeah. to try to coach her. Yeah. <laughs>
0: i a fair amount of loyalty at this point, but yeah, you probably easily could just pay her double. But when she came on board, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted her to do. I just knew that I needed more people to do the stuff that I was doing. So when she came on, she started doing things and actually the tasks that she started to do, she created the very first SOPs. It wasn't just me. Hmm. So when we were at that point in time, I think we were like how to update a WordPress plugin was like one of our first like SOPs. I didn't create that, she did. So, and as I added more and more people, what I found is that, all right, well, I was a media buyer at that point and that was basically me and it was her. I was like, all right, the next thing I really need is to get more customers, maybe to to double my my client base. I need at least another media buyer. And media buyers back then, and they should be to this day, even though we have some media buyers in our team that don't really do this, is like we did the creative, we did the graphics, we did the video editing, we did all the ad copy, we did all the research. You know, all the stuff that we talk about now is like the ads lab and the ads grid and all these other sorts of things that make ads great was done by one person. So I figured, well, if I could get more than me, the same me, in essence, go out and find somebody who's maybe as good, if not better as a media buyer, then I could double my clients. And then it went from doubling to tripling to quadrupling and then it just took off. So my thing was I didn't really have SOPs in place. I hired first, figured out like, what are the best practices for all those individuals? And maybe at this point, and, and the life cycle, this is a couple of years in, and I have like three or four media buyers. You know, I've got like people that I'm sort of working on the side with for some creative stuff, maybe some video editing, got maybe some reporting people, like all those people did the tasks that I did. But then after they were hired for me to really scale to the next level, I said, well, I need all of them to start creating the SOPs. And that's when we really started to build our SOPs based around like the best group practice of the four or five of us. So I took a little bit of a different approach, hire first and then systemize after. And I think that's just more in alignment with my personality. I'm very much of a, a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And that's like, that's the entrepreneur that's in me. My former ops uh, VP, who you know, we're still very, very good friends. He was a ready, 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 aim, 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 fire kind of guy which made him a tremendous like VP of operations but like very different type of personality he would have built it the way that that you have done it um so i think it's personality based i think there's no necessarily one way the point is, is you have to have both you have to have good systems in order to really scale past a certain level and you really have to have great people and that's the two basics i think of scaling and I think on this episode, we're going to help people to uh, to figure out how to do the latter
1: of those two. Yeah, well, I've said for, for years and years and years, so my business partner, and I, I stole this from my mentor, but in agencies only it's people and its processes. Yep. That's it. and, and not everybody listening to this is an agency, but that's okay. Look at your business and decide how true that is. You know, sometimes it might be people processes product. There might be another couple of things to land in there. They might not all start with P, but mm-hmm. I think your, your people and your processes are, are always going to be critically important. And And I'd like to put up, I'd like to put a box around what we're talking about, because what Ralph and I are talking about is a spectrum, like Mm -hmm. where you are in terms of your comfort zone for having processes created. I actually don't believe in trying to build out the process in its entirety first. I think that there should be a level of iteration, because if you try to build it out from the very beginning, you know, soup to nuts, the very first time somebody runs that damn process, it's going to fall apart. You're going to end up changing, you know, everything about it. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, don't go so far that you know the, the whole thing is built because I think you're going to frustrate yourself. At most, you know, put together the skeleton, and then as you run it, you get to add, you know, put some meat on the bones each time.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we talked about that in episode three eleven, where it's about iteration and as a part of like the daily routine of your people is to update the processes as you go along. I don't think anybody does that perfectly by any stretch but you know it's at least it's part of like the business it's part of the job description for the individual people for sure so I think it's got to be uh, you know constantly iterated over time best practices grouped together you know we've got a fair amount of like very big-brained people inside tier 11 which is and I know it's the same thing on on your uh, agency as well like the, the groups think sometimes is really great when it comes to sops and processes how you actually do it i don't think you know how the sausage is made necessarily matters is that you just make the sausage it's like it's got to be there sort of in in one way shape or form and refining it over time is certainly going to bring consistent results to you whether you're a manufacturer whether you're an e-commerce business whether you're an agency in a service based business like we are it's it's really, it's all the same. I think that's a universal tenet in business. So getting back to the flip side of that is having people to do those things, whether they're fully formulated or whether they are formulated as you go. Like you and I differ a bit in how we hire. Like your agency is fundamentally different than, than uh, tier 11 in a lot of ways. But I think the core... Talking about this before we hit record, is, a lot of it is the same. So let's get into you know some of the ways in which you hire top tiered talent, especially because we're all doing this as virtual agencies here or virtual companies. You're not, you can't walk down the you know the corridor and you know peek over the uh, the cubicle and start talking Google Ads with people. You've got to hire them and then trust them to do the job, right. which is. Oh, there's a lot of the world now in the last year and a half, you know, past this freaking pandemic, you know, that is now in that situation. So how do you hire? what What's your what's your way in which you do it? How do you start? How do you finish and all
1: that? We opened up remotely for this reason. I, I used to have my entire staff was right here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, you know, everybody lived within 20 miles of 85260, which is my little zip code. And I think that, that becomes an impossibility at a certain point because it's hard to find. Now, I've got two agency friends that do that. One in Carlsbad, California, one in Missouri. And both of them have really long training cycles. I'm talking like 12, 18 months. And they have to because they bring in these sharp folks, but they don't necessarily have the background that they would need. I have the whole globe to go after. And that's really helped me. It, it, and, and some data points for you. And I'll just start to ramble, Ralph, and you interrupt me when you think folks are throwing rocks at their speakers. It takes 241 applicants to produce one hire at Solutions 8. It's 0.4%. And I'm really proud of that. But it lets you know the labor pool you have to have access to in order to get to that number. Like we've, we have so many hurdles that people have to go through. If I didn't have a global labor pool, I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't do what I do. We couldn't be as good as we are. So 241 applicants, and the application process is structured, and you and I talked about this prior to the call a little bit. It's structured in a way that filters people according to what it is that we know for a fact they have to have in order to be successful. And I think that one of the things that entrepreneurs do incorrectly is they're like, gosh, I have to have a button in this seat. And so they go out and they get the first person with a resume that kind of checks the boxes. And it's, and y'all, I'm not being accusatory because I did this and I did it for years and I didn't even realize I was doing anything wrong, but you just end up with the wrong person over and over and over and over again. It costs you time, it costs you money, it costs you headache. And I flipped the script now. Now I'm actually actively trying to find something wrong with these applicants instead of trying to find, you know, excuses and reasons to to hire them. So that's sort of, you know, the, the overarching view and paradigm that I approach things with, which is I'm gonna start with a massive group of potential prospects, and then narrow down to the best of the best of the best. And in order to do that, by the way, you have to be an attractive place to work. My, my crew is amazing. Everybody loves it here. Everybody works remotely. They manage their own time. Nobody clocks in or out. I don't track PTO at all. It's like if you need time, take it. I've had to have conversations with two employees over 15 years. I've had two issues there, but otherwise, everybody's been ultra respectful. I pay more than anybody else. I pay double what we poach a lot of Google specialists out of India. I pay double what Google pays. Double, sometimes more. And and I think that's the the critical prerequisite to making us the attractive place that would actually have the labor pool accessible to to begin filtering down.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you have the world, the globe (laughs) as your talent pool, you can afford to be pretty selective, Mm -hmm. I think, provided that you have an opportunity that people actually want uh, or are interested in. And it's the same thing here. I mean, I think, you know, we have an agency owners group, uh, you know, through tier 11 and finding good people is a big challenge. But I also think that, and most of them are remote. So the world really is, you know, your, your potential talent pool where I find The real challenge sometimes when people are first hiring, and I know a lot of people that answered our survey are like struggling with growth and getting good people, is when we spoke about this, is they say, all right, well, I need to hire for somebody that has a lot of talent or is really good in this particular area of expertise. And... I disagree. (laughs) I mean, I think you need somebody who has the potential to be great, but isn't necessarily great right now, because that might be somebody who is very embedded in their own individual beliefs. Mm. And we don't really care about that as much. We do do screening for individual skills. Like for example, a media buyer has to have certain skills, like to run Facebook ads, for example, or Google ads, like they have to have a certain level of aptitude. And we do screen for that. We'll get into how we screen for that. But what we look for more so than that is not necessarily the things that they currently have, but the things that they could have. And those things we come back to, and there's a great book, which we had discussed earlier from uh, Marcus Buckingham, is First Break All the Rules. It's one of my favorite books on, on hiring is you hire for talents, and one of the things that I believe it was in that book, and we totally ripped this off and have used it ever since, is I remember when we were first making our very first like formal hires as opposed to just people who were in like this facebook group and i said hey you want to work for us and they said yeah and you know that's kind of how we started and most of those people are no longer here because i had no real profile i was like yeah you know facebook ads all right yes come work for us and we called ourselves the agency back then and i should have known better because i mean i've actually done a fair amount of hirings for the corporate world so When we really started to formalize things and we started to impose a structure inside our company, probably about six or seven years ago, using the book Traction, where we went through a 90-day meeting and we're like, all right, who is the ideal hire for us? And what we did is we went through all the people that are within, at that point in time, you know, the agency tier 11, and we said, who is the ideal hire? Who do we wish we could clone? And... Then we took that one person, and it's funny because it was Angela, <laughs> who wasn't on this week's call, but was on uh, a few weeks ago and appears regularly here on, on Perpetual Traffic, is we listed all, not her skills, she's a very gifted media buyer, but what are her talents? We're like, she's got a great marketing IQ, she's got a lot of self-awareness, she's really humble, she's constantly learning. She's got this like ability to just get shit done like all the time. She also, you know, is a very good communicator. Like, so we listed all these traits out, not the things that she was using as a media buyer, but like what are the real talents, the things that are inherent? And the difference between a talent and a skill, you know, per this book, I still believe this to this day, is a skill is something that can be taught. You can be taught campaign management. You can be taught negative keywords in Google, right? But how precise or how well you do it or how much attention to detail and how much hunger you have to be the best negative keyword person in the world. I don't even know if that's really a thing, but just using that as an example, I just want to be the best negative keyword person ever. Like that unto itself, that desire is a talent and you have to hire for that. And if you can figure out in your business, and we're just talking about the agency world here. Could be like whatever your business is. If you're listening, if you've got an e commerce business, figure out what talents you want to hire for. And it might be one or two, or maybe three in most cases. In our case, it's grown to five. And it's five things that we now look for. And then we actually have questions, we have ways in which to screen it. But at the heart of it all, like that's why we're able to not only hire, but retain. Top talent is because we hire for those five characteristics. And for us, they're humble, hungry, smart, precise, and get shit done. And that is it. Like those, if you have those five things that I know, like that's embedded in your core ideology, like who you are. And Traction says, you know, it's your core values, like the core values of your ideal employee. If they have that, then chances are you're going to be able to build a great organization because they've got all the things there. They've got like the basement. They've got the, like the, the base structure. They've got the rebar before you add the concrete. The concrete maybe is the talents, I mean, the skills rather that they learn and they get better and better at. But if you have that as a core, you're going to be able to build a really an unstoppable company. And that's going to be different for every business. And for us, those are the five that we used. It started off as three, humble, hungry, smart, and then sort of added to it over time. And and that's, I think the biggest thing that a lot of business owners miss because they're like, I just need an ass in that seat to like fill that role because I don't want to do it anymore. And that is a recipe for a lot of turnover, potentially like real performance issues. And it could be a disaster for your business.
1: Yeah, I can agree. And you know, I don't think business, I think business owners underestimate how much turnover costs them. Training yeah. a new employee, getting them all ramped up. Like it's a y'all, it's it's funny because hiring, especially if you're brand new, if you're a solopreneur and you're thinking about your very first hire, you're thinking that this person is going to take work off of your plate. It's yeah. not true. It's <laughs> not true for the first, I mean, at least 60, 90 days, but the idea <laughs> is true. Right? right. Yeah. Conceptually, you will get there. But in the beginning, you know, if you're working 100 hours a week and you're like, oh my goodness, I need help. Well, guess what? That help is going to cost you time. It's going to now it's going to be 120. Because you're sitting there doing everything you were doing before and training this fool. And the hope is that you turn them from, you know, a fool to somebody who can actually help and take work off of your plate. But if it's the wrong person, man, it's just and I've been there. I've been I've hired the wrong person. And sometimes you're good folks. You know, you just have the the wrong person on the wrong seat on the wrong bus. So it's really important to to, I, I really like what you're saying here, Ralph, about hire for for will train for skill. And I think that, that mm-hmm. I love the process that you went through too in reverse engineering. Like, who is it that I want? I'm going to go find more people just like that.
0: Yeah. We we actually used to do personality profiles and there's a company that we used to use out in Washington State that was really good. A lot of people do it with, you know, StrengthsFinder 2.0, which is really good and Colby and all that. And I think those are good. And I think y- you, can, you can get A pretty good blueprint if you do use those. Like, take your best employee and have them run a Colby or have them run, I think it's Profiles International. We'll leave links in the show notes for this sort of stuff. We used to use Profiles International quite a bit, and I believe they're like 200 bucks a pop. But we actually profiled one of our top media buyers, and then we would use that profile and try to have them at sort of the late stages of the interview fill out that same questionnaire and see if they matched that profile. That's a little bit for me, uh, too much. I think it was very Super helpful. Academic for sure. Super academic. I don't think it measured the right things. I mean, but we've what we've started to do is really nail the things that we really, really wanted. And it's universal. Whether it's, you know, for us, we have copywriters, dev people, we've got uh, you know, graphic designers, motion graphics people. You know, we've got media buyers, ads managers, we've got managers, you know, like customer success people, they all have different talents, but they, I mean, they all have, I, I still continuously mistake the two of them. They all have different skills, but they all really, and we just did this entire assessment for the entire company in our last quarterly meeting. They all have the same talents to a lesser degree or a greater degree, some a little bit more, some a little bit less, but they all have at least the minimum requirement. And that's why, you know, I think it matches the company culture, which is important for retention, but it also really, like we have a great company culture as, as, a result of that. It's like when they get together, they're like, wow, this is somebody that's really like me, you know what I mean? And it, and that's hard to It's hard to create culture in a virtual organization. But if you're all basically have the same morals, you know, you basically have the same sort of core characteristics in your personality, chances are you're going to get, you're going to get along with those other people that have those same sort of core characteristics. And we refer to them as, you know, our core values. And it's a really, really important thing. And then we carry that over to, if we're going to hire people like this in the, in the agency as employees. We want business owners and customers to match that, which is maybe a whole other episode. So it bleeds into everything that you do. And I think it's something that business owners do forget about. And You can just do that simple exercise with your leadership team and really start hiring the right
1: types of people by hiring for talents, not necessarily just skills. Yeah. You mentioned that you filter by these five, which I love, Humble, Hungry, Smart, precise GSD. Oh, can you give me some examples of what those filters look like? Like some of the, the specifics that you're using.
0: So, for each individual, uh, for each individual job, and we're actually we are hiring <laughs> right now. So, if you're interested in working at Tier 11, head over to tier11.com forward slash careers. The latest one is a funnel specialist, actually. Uh, which is something that we are rapidly expanding and hiring for. But head on over to tier11.com forward slash careers, a little plug for us there. But in each individual hiring funnel, what we have is we have checks all the way through. So what we do is we sit down with the hiring manager and say, all right, so we have these five core talents or sort of core values as as Gino Wickman from Traction calls them. But then what are the skills that they need superimposed over those talents that you're hiring for? So for a funnel specialist, for example, you want somebody to be able to not just be able to go into click funnels and press buttons. But one of the things that we we laid out this individual uh, job posting is we said, all right, we want somebody that really has an insight Beyond the click, that's more than just looking at, oh, well, that conversion rate is 2%, but maybe it should be 3%. They're looking at the entire holistic view of the entire selling system, or in our case, sort of the marketing path is what we call it. All the way through from click, maybe from ad, all the way through to ultimately purchase. So they've got a holistic view of how it all works together and how each page inside a sales funnel works synergistically to create ultimately a customer for our paid agency customer. So that's one of the things that we're looking for. So when we look for that, that's sort of a skill with also sort of superimposed on some of the other talents that we actually are hiring for, but we create an application and sort of an exercise that will draw out some of those core characteristics mixed with the talents that we see in order to screen for them before they actually get to the next step. So in the case of the funnel specialist, we have them fill out an application, then they kind of go through an analysis period, and then they actually fill out another application and in that entire process, what we're doing is we're actually asking questions that draw out some of the talents, but also exemplify and show the skills that we're looking for and what we're hiring for. When they actually do get to the first interview, and this is usually like in the fifth or sixth step of the process, that's when the hiring manager, they already know they have the, the skills to do the job. They're at that point in time, all right, you can definitely do the job. But that's when we start to really go deeper in our questioning in the interview for talents. Mm-hmm. like, And then we have a series of questions around, like, if somebody is hungry, for example, or somebody has humility, like, for example, like, those are two things, like for the, the humble question, we'll ask, all right, well, you know, can you tell me, you know, how did you get to this level of success? Like, who helped you get to where you're at? right now. And if I'm giving away the store a bit here, but if they answer that question incorrectly, we can tell whether or not they have they check the humility box. Ooh, that is
1: brilliant. What a Trojan so, course that question is. Cute. So it's
0: like it's a it's a Trojan quote. So for each individual talent, we have individual questions. I'm not going to give them all away here that you got to figure this sort of stuff out on your own. Maybe this is our product, actually. You know, hey, you yeah, we never know. But like these questions that we go into, like are asked in every single interview to draw out the talents. But the talents are sort of the last thing that we screen for. Like we want to say, all right, we already know that you have the skills that we're trying to hire for, but when you actually meet with the hiring manager or two, they're going to really drill down. They're going to say, all right, this guy is obviously, he knows what he's doing. He got to this step. There were a hundred applicants. We may have five that come out the other end that that actually get a physical interview. That's typically how it works inside our our
1: hiring funnels. We're going to be really, really clear. Yeah, we will. It's like, I tell them too. I'm like, Hey, absolutely. 41 people. You're one of 10 that has made it this far. And I feel like that does a lot to motivate them to continue the process because it's still arduous. Yeah. People
0: love to be an exclusive club. Well, like it's, right. we all want to be, I mean, unless you just have no motivation whatsoever, which was me probably right after college. Uh, but ever since then, it's all changed. Like I've always wanted to be the best. Like people want to be the best. That's why people are competitive. They want to win. So if you like, if you say, all right, you, you are 247 people typically, and you're like one of three. That actually gets to this point, that's an era of exclusivity. I mean, you're already making them feel special, which is, you know, which is a motivational tactic unto itself, which we won't even get into here. But the point of this is, you should tell them that. But they also it makes them more desirous to work for this ultra elite company. Mm-hmm. And that's what we try and position ourselves as, as like, yeah, we are, we really do feel like we are the best in the industry, but we're also humbled in the fact that we've got to continuously get better and better. Otherwise the competition is going to eat our lunch, but yeah, we absolutely tell them that in that interview. And by the time they maybe even get to me, which sometimes I do interview people, sometimes I don't, I, that's the first thing I tell them like very few people get to this level And they're pretty excited at that point, but we're also setting up the offer and the next step and everything to make sure they accept the offer and all these other sorts of things. So yeah, it's done sort of after the initial screening, but we have a series of questions all around, you know, those five individual talents and we'll look for them all the way through the screening aspect, through the video, through the application, hints of it, whether you're in some of those questions. And then some of our managers will actually talk in a channel and say, all right, well, does he check this box? Does he check that box? Or does she have that one? Oh yeah, she's got that one in spades. So we will actually aggregate all of our interviews together. And then we make a hiring decision right after that. Yeah, it's cool you all
1: triangulate that way. You you kind of dance around something that ends up being one of our strong beliefs. And I'm curious as to whether or not we end up being aligned here. A lot of businesses, I'm going to say the majority, 51% or more, approach the hiring process as though they're offering the value. Mm -hmm. I flip the script. For me, this is a marketing push. I'm promoting my company. If you're attracting, especially if you're tracking top tier talent, like people look at it as though like, oh, you must comply with these rules. And it's very like the HR language in job descriptions, I think is abysmal. It just, it just drives me insane. Yeah. When you read our job description, it reads like an ad. It's like here's everything that you're gonna love. Here's and and we put our skunks on the table the same way you would with an ad. We we sort of pre-qualify, you know, attract and repel on the front end. Curious as to whether or not you 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 play that game too.
0: We do, and because the whole goal of hiring is not oh you should be so lucky to work for Tier Eleven. Right. <laughs> like it's so self-serving and it's completely against the humility part of it. Like, we want you because we want you to be a part of something great mm. and help us build something even greater. But when we start all of our, our job postings, I'm actually looking at the funnel specialist job posting right now, and it was written in a way, it was published and it needs to be revised because it was written in more of a traditional method. And this is a relatively new manager hiring here but that's okay like that that's this is how we learn but in all of our job descriptions it's all about like what's in it for you right that's what it has to be Why? it's got to be yeah because the if guy it's that like, writes
1: our job description is our direct response copywriter he yeah. sells stuff and in this context he's selling the job 100 percent. like what's in it for them like
0: what's you know nobody really does anything unless there's something in it for themselves right I was on this referral sales call for this other agency this week, and they were like, Yeah, well, what we really want is we want referrals from you guys, and then in exchange, we're going to give you, you know, blah, blah, blah percent. Never in the entire call did he say anything about what I wanted. And I'm like, this is the worst sales guy I've ever, like, I wouldn't say ever talked to because I used to be a sales manager and I used to have a lot of bad sales guys. Um, the point was, is like, he wasn't talking about my interests like what's in it for me what do i get out of this like where's the win for me so i think as an employer you have to really talk to people with relation to their interests so you know it, and it goes alongside like you have to sell like it can't be like this corporate listing abc corporation is seeking a sell, you know a self starting uh highly diligent intelligent media buyer for xyz project like that's not a job let that is a traditional job listing mm-hmm. but as copywriters and as 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 people who are you know obviously students of persuasion you're not going to persuade anybody with that you have to start with their interests You know, how would you like to work for a world-class organization where there's tons of growth potential, where you're on the cutting edge and, you know, you are constantly being challenged every day with a world-class team that supports you and loves you. And there's tremendous opportunities for personal growth. Like, I don't know what that job is, but that's a hell of a lot better than, you know, XYZ Corporation is looking to hire. Because right. I'm talking to you in your interest. And that's not even like a job posting that I would even probably put on because it's not specific enough to a specific interest of our avatar that we're trying to hire. The point is, is like there's two ways to do it and talk to them and they're like, you'll eventually get what's in it for you later on because they're bringing talent that will help grow your company. That's what you get out of it. Right. What you want is you want somebody that's going to come on, is going to be really excited to work for you. And embodies those, those core values, really, so that they fit in with the team, they're a really productive member of the team, and they help you grow. And not only just as a company, but individually for all the other people that work within the organization. And I have this one expression is like, don't hire people just like you. Hire, hire people that are complementary to you, if not better than you. And if you can do that, you will build a world class organization. You absolutely will. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear. using reputation management make sure that you register for the april 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash pt
1: yeah i couldn't agree you hit on something else that i want to talk about which is the the being specific about your hiring goals one of the biggest mistakes i made and i made this up until a really recent timeline one that i'm ashamed to admit I kept trying to hire utility players. I kept trying to hire, you know, I want someone who knows they can figure out Google ads if I need them to, but they can also figure out web and maintenance and maybe learn a little SEO and client management, and some sales. And, 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 and it's just, you know, really multifaceted role. And it's not that those people don't exist. They do. But generally, they're running their own company. Those are the entrepreneurs. It's really tough to go hire an entrepreneur it's even the same person in a different role. I think it, I think it, it's going to benefit everybody if you're looking to hire. Don't try to hire the Swiss Army knife. Go look for the one task that you need done and figure out how to hire somebody for that task. Even if you're not necessarily hiring, you know, for the, the, the skill like Ralph was saying earlier, know what the skill is that you're going to back them into because it's going to make the entire process, it's easier to vet, it's easier to interview, it's easier to train. So get, get really myopic in scope because for years and years and years and years, I kept trying to hire, you know, the guy or gal that can do it all and they Mm -hmm. exist, but they're harder to find. They're harder to train and you never retain them. They're always going to spin off and go do their own thing.
0: That's the unicorn hire. I think that's, that's a real big mistake is you can get lucky a couple of times getting the unicorn hire. Like with Angelo was a unicorn hire, for example. So great. We got lucky. Um, We have been able to attract a few more unicorns for sure but what we realized is that this this business there is a there's specialties within individual tasks that are easier to hire for right you know like a data analyst may not be great with front-facing customer relations so you know, or they might not want like a media buyer who's great at like running ads and really analyzing and, and figuring out where the weak points are in a sales funnel may not be the best with data analysis and spreadsheets. So it's like, you've got to figure out, okay, you can potentially find somebody that has this wide array of skills. But I think, you know, as you grow, I think we've really realized you gotta sort of subspecialize and they're they're easier to hire. And then as long as you're they're operating in their sort of sphere of genius on a day-to-day basis, or at least as much as they possibly can within their unique ability, you know, another another thing from Dan Sullivan, which we're big fans of, it like they're gonna retain, they're gonna stay an employee for a really long period of time because they're doing something that they really, really love, and they're not doing these other things that they're not quite as good at. Right. Um which doesn't give them joy. So if you can hire the unicorns great, they're harder to find though. Uh, and, and we realized that we started breaking down our individual tasks into individual roles as we scaled and grow and um, it's it served us well. But I think when you're small, you probably do need a lot of jack of all trades people, but as you scale and grow and as you you know hire more and more people, they're gonna be harder to find.
1: Yeah, well, really, but, you
0: have to break up
1: each individual task into its individual components. For for those that are small, and I mean, if you can find the jack of all trades, that's great. But I, I'd rather hire a part time person for a specific role than go try to look for a full time person who's going to do, you know, a half dozen things. I just think that it's it's a it's a more scalable approach, and it's gonna it's gonna serve you better in the long term. Which you know, I don't mean to beat that because it's a dead horse now, but just worth mentioning.
0: Yeah, I think um, there's a there's a counter argument that says like the business world and, you know, I mean, crap for, you know, like professional sports. There's a specialist for everything. And that's like the death of, you know, the workforce. I don't necessarily agree. It's like, you know, Henry Ford figured it out, as we Mm -hmm. referred to, you know, last episode, you know, in the assembly lines, like everyone. I mean, it's sort of a monotonous (laughs) example, but there was one guy that put on the wheel. You know, or maybe the wheels. So I've got know? an
1: example of that in our, in our agency. We've got, we track and, and listen and score. We listen to and score every single phone call that our agency produces. It's insane. I know of one other agency on the planet that does this. If we're doing lead generation and, and the phone rings from an ad, we're tracking that through call tracking metrics. We're recording it if we have the client's permission to do that. And then a member of my team listens to and scores that call. Nobody else does this. And we're doing it because we want, we want clarity and conversion data. I've got way better data than anybody else has, which means we can optimize better. Um, it's a massive value prop. But again, it's hard to do. Previously, we had that cycling through all of our specialists. So people had to take turns listening to and scoring these calls. And it was a nightmare. And everybody hated it. It was the worst job in the whole wide world. And it just made their, their day miserable that day. We now have, it was one gentleman and then it's grown into a team. But we, we hired a guy. His name's Harsh. He's, a, he's unbelievable. We hired a guy his whole role was to listen to and score these calls. And it instantly went from being this pain in the hindquarters that nobody wanted to do. And people would kind of shirk and it was hard to manage to this, this kid like made it his life's mission and he built better processes around it. And he found ways to, to, to optimize it. And now when he's training his people and he's overlooking it, like, we just found a person that decided like, Oh, that isn't miserable for me because it's not, tangential to my core task. It's actually the thing that I'm meant to do. And he sunk his teeth into it. And it's still, when I, when I describe it to people, it sounds like a horrible job. I'd never do it, but we found somebody that like, you know, likes it, enjoys it, finds value in it. And now we're not just scoring calls. We're coming to clients saying, Hey, the person entering this call is not doing a really good job with intake. You know, like we get to provide an additional layer of value that no other agency gets to provide. And it's because we went and found somebody who could own that specific task.
0: It's so true. There, there is something you as the business owner, or you as the executive, or you know, you as the CMO are probably doing something right now that you don't enjoy doing at all in your day to day. But there is somebody out there that loves to do that thing, and it's incredible to me. Like when we f- hired our our first project manager, like uh, I know people think like I come from the you know obviously the marketing world, but before that. I was in the sales world and people were always like, like, how do you go out and sell stuff? Like, I could never like go door to door and knock on doors and like talk to people. I don't know. Like it was, this is, I remember just going to like, you know, parties and stuff. they like, how can you actually do that? I'm like, well, what do you do for work? Well, like I'm going I'm an accountant. I'm like, how can you sit there all day and look at spreadsheets You know, at that point in time, maybe in this conversation, it was like paper spreadsheets, you know, and make sure like all the numbers add up at the end of the day and the assets match the liabilities. Dude, I'd rather get paper cuts on my eyelids. That sounds like the worst job. and You know what I mean? Like I couldn't do it. It's true. So I remember this conversation. It's like, there's one reason. It's like, I love it when the numbers match. It's like, that's nirvana for me. Huh. And I just, um, I actually met with my CFO out in Cleveland a couple of weeks ago. And we had this exact conversation. I was like, I don't know why you do what you do, but I'll guarantee you, like, your nirvana is when all the numbers match perfectly. It's like there's harmony in the world. And he's like, yes, it's the best feeling ever. It's like we're two human beings, you know, really good friends. Business associates couldn't be different as far as like what like makes him tick and what he loves to do on a day-to-day basis. Like he's on calls all the day talking numbers and doing spreadsheets and doing Excel sheets and all this other sort of stuff. And it's like, I don't know how the hell he does it. It's because he loves doing it. The point is, is like, we as humans, there is, then that is a unique talent. Hmm. Okay. So that's a talent that he has. I do not have, but he does, you know, he does tick the precision side of our five circles. And one of the reasons why, you know, he obviously works so well at, at tier 11 point is, is we're all different. We all have unique talents and skills and motivations. And if there's something in your company that nobody really wants to do, I'll guarantee you, there's somebody out there that would love to do it day in and day out and get joy out of it and do it so good and raise the level of productivity for that particular task. Exactly. Like you did inside solutions eight. So, um, And that's all about like just thinking about this hiring thing differently. And I don't think a lot of business owners think about those sorts of things, but they need to if you really do want to scale and grow, especially with critical tasks like like that one that you had mentioned, which obviously is yielding some pretty amazing results for customers.
1: Yeah. Um, I've got some, I'm going to call them value bombs or pro tips for our hiring process. Let's do it. Okay. And, and, and again, peel me back, Ralph, if you start to think like, dude, this just isn't, we're not, we're not providing value here. But, but the one, the thing I'll say is this only works if you're paying more, because you're going to have people jumping through a lot of hoops and, and and maybe it's not necessarily money, but you have to be attractive. So you have to, you know, have defined the what's in it for them and people have to want to work where where you are, because none of the rest of my advice is going to work if that's the case but we've got, I've got what I call the perfect job description. One of the things that we do is at the very top of the job description, I, I write, when you apply, please make sure that your heading reads as follows. I actually read the instructions. There's a couple of things here. If they don't say I actually read the instructions, we discard it wholesale. We don't even open it up, A, but B, it lets them know, go read the damn instructions because later I'm seeding questions throughout and later what we do is in the application process, I ask for a bunch of stuff, more than I think most people do. The first one is I say, give me a link to your resume in PDF format with the following naming convention. And I do this on purpose. I do it because I want to make sure they're not going to forward me the same whatever that they forward everybody else. They actually have to sit down, rename the file, save as a PDF if it's not saved as a PDF. And and that, I, I think that attention to detail is the type of thing that I want to see in people, especially because of the work that we're doing. You have to have, you know, Attention to minute, minute details. So that's not something that everybody has to do, but think about the things to the you know point that you were making earlier, Ralph. Think about the the talents that they have to have or or the values that they need to be able to embody, and give them a little teeny tiny micro task that might that might reflect that. And then a couple of my other favorites. I won't you know bore everybody with all of them, but I I like to ask if uh, if you're an animal, what animal would you be and why? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for one answer in particular that's an immediate disqualifier. I'm looking for the Joker that says human beings are animals because while that's technically true, that's a person that wants to be right. They want to be successful. And if I put you on the phone with a client and the client says something stupid, you're, you're going to be the one that like jumps on them. So they can't intuit the spirit of the question. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing that's really cool is you get a ton of responses about people's personality, like really, really, really interesting, interesting feedback. And then another one of my, my all-time favorites, this is why, the reason I hired my EA, who's just amazing. She's an assassin. and I love her. One of my questions, there's a quote by Khalil Gibran, who's a poet. He wrote the the poem, uh, The Prophet. But in it, he says, um, work is love made visible. And so I say, what does this quote mean to you personally? You don't have to use my quote. You can use whatever quote you want. But what's kind of cool about that is is you're forcing them kind of out of this very sterile, very left-brained application environment. And then they end up having to respond with something. And that instantly lets me know whether or not it's a culture fit. And what's interesting is most people... 90% 90% of applicants miss one of the instructions. So now I'm left with, you know, I get to narrow down a couple hundred applications to, you know, just a handful. And and then it's a matter of of picking the folks that we like the most in the culture fits.
0: It's good. There used to be a an expression for those, but I mean, I really do think they're like little Trojan horses yeah. inside and i think they're really important to have those little things in there because also that comes back to you know f- for us like we have those types of little trips in everything we used to actually have as part of the job description like uh, you know little things like and there's a typo in the first paragraph of this job description pick it out and tell us which one it is <laughs> that is brilliant uh, another one was like before the last line of the job description itself and make sure in your application, you fill in what your favorite food is. Mm. So little things like that, but that was getting back to the attention to detail or the precision. Like this is how we help, you know, weed out the individual, uh, core values that we're looking for these, these five circles or ideal team player kind of stuff, which is another great book, by the way. Uh, so like all those can be embedded, not necessarily, uh, you know, as a part of just to screen, just to be a pain in the ass. You can certainly do that and to weed people out, but they can also be an indication of what your core values are, which you're ultimately trying to hire for. Hmm. So, I think it's 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 a dual purpose, you know, part of the hiring process. I think it's it's super smart. You know, one of the things that that we're really vigilant about is like when we do our the video. You know, there's basically there's the application, and then there's a video, usually two videos, might be one in some cases. Is we say no more than five minutes. If it's 501, 502, if it's 459, fine, you know, so it's little things like that. Plus, you know, the person actually screens, like they don't have time to to you know go through a 17-minute video just because one guy or one applicant wanted to do it. So I would encourage you all to, to put those little Trojan horses. I know they used to be called something else, but anyway, little Trojan horses for like a lack of a better term or like a little spelling mistake or something similar to that, something in there that draws out more of those core value behaviors that you're really trying to hire for. So uh, yeah, super good stuff. Do you have like, after you do the application, is it, do they go immediately to an interview or is it, do they have a middle step? Like Take me through
1: that just um, you know, step by step. Depends on the role. So if, if they've submitted the application and we like what we've seen, if it's a tactician's role, so like right now I'm hiring for a content writer and the writer, if they get past the part to where we're like, all right, we like your application, followed all the instructions, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna have them do a, a trial project. But we actually, and I, again, I don't know many agencies that do this, we pay. I pay for people's trials. I won't trial any more than 10 applicants. And, um, you know, the pay isn't significant. It'll be like 50 bucks, but I do a couple of things. One, I pay in advance because what will happen is there are some folks that will take it and not complete the project. And I think that they just did me a favor because now I get to see, I paid $50 to save myself from hiring a non-integrous person, uh, which I think is really helpful. I also like paying for the child project because it lets them know I value their time and it allows me to actually hold the project to a certain standard that if they were doing it for free, no matter how good they are, I couldn't necessarily do. Um, and then we have them, you know, uh, the other thing that I like to do, and actually it's so funny, I just sent this to the, the young man that's helping me with this process, but when I send them the project, I'll, I'll do things like, I'll send incomplete data, you know, Hey, send a, I need you to write, you know, a, an email for this particular event, but I won't give them the data at the time of the event, or I'll say, log into our Canva account and download these assets, but I'll give them the wrong password because I want uh-huh. to see, how quickly they come back to us with, you know, the the, the remediation necessary, and then how well they self-advocate and kind of manage that process throughout. So the trial project isn't just about the output. It's also about, you know, I don't tell them how long I want it to take. I don't give them a due date. I do ask them to track their hours. I want to know how long this is going to take, because I don't want somebody who's going to take 15 hours on a a blog that should be two hours, you know, that type of thing. But the, the, the trial project is so much more about the end result. It's about you know, and Hey, now we're working with this person and how is it that they're going to contend with our team? No, it's really, really good. I think these are all
0: ways in which it's really, you're, you're, you know, you're showing, not just telling. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think anyone can create a resume or a, or a CV, I guess they're now called and they've been called that way for quite some time. They can say anything they really want. Like with these types of things, like you're really, you're finding out like what they actually do, what they can show you, not necessarily what they can tell you. And that's a very good indication of like, you know, aptitude as far as like relevance to how well they're going to do on the job. And I think in a virtual hiring environment, you can do these sorts of things. And I mean, I used to think like the way that I would hire way back in the corporate world is I would just get a recruiter and I would just get hundreds of resumes and I'd have to go through every single resume. And that was our process. It's like, I can't even imagine doing that. I just remember like, oh, I've got to go through resumes tonight. It's like the worst thing. And it wasn't even a computer screen. It was like they sent them to me in a FedEx package. You know, like how antiquated is that? You're laughing because you're like, I don't know, 20 something years old. But but the point is, it's like, think about how you can use technology to facilitate the screening process. And if you're a virtual company and the world is your hiring pool you can do these sorts of things, and I, you know, I actually I was just going through some of our job listings, and uh, you know, as much as we have a, a really good track record of hiring, we even make mistakes on some of our job postings. Like I saw one where they they're asking for three videos up front. That's way too much. I'm asked for one video. It's like one video of one task that you want to show a level of competence on. So don't make these screens like so difficult that nobody can fill out an application. Remember we put out that we were looking for a a technical specialist and we said, we had them do like three videos and we paid all this money to LinkedIn. And we're like, we haven't gotten a single application. And I looked on the thing, it's like, because we have three tasks. It's like, it's too much. I wouldn't do that much. So be realistic with the asks here. Don't go overboard, make it in alignment with, the ultimate, um, you know, job description that you want to hire for. And, you know, from my perspective, absolutely have it in alignment with uh, your core values and the the values that you hold as an organization. So uh, really good stuff here. And we have been, uh, we could probably talk on and on and on about this. This is obviously a pretty important part of building and scaling and growing a business. And, um, you know, if you are uh, hiring, you know, even if you take just a couple of elements of the things that we say here, it's like, if you just like, do that one thing about your best employee and put that up on a whiteboard. Like you're far ahead of so many other businesses. And um, yeah, and that's the goal here is to help you to scale and to grow because if you've been listening for a while and you're doing paid ads for your business, chances are it's scaling and growing. You just need the people, the really good people to fill those roles so you can continue to scale and grow. And you as a business owner uh, can maybe even get your life back by having other people do some of the work that you used to do. Cause I know there's a lot of solopreneurs that listen that uh, struggle with that mightily. So Qasem, Aslam, thanks again for uh, coming on this week. This has been great. Any parting words uh, before you head off to the water park this afternoon?
1: With yeah, your kids, to the water park. I Actually, I kind of want to drop, a uh, a name if you don't mind yeah i'm not, I'm not an affiliate these folks are their clients and strategic partners of mine they're members of war room which is a mastermind I used to be a part of uh, dr allison grizzle over at clearview strategy partners if you're interested in someone who will you know help you build those profiles it's a lot like the personality tests that ralph was referencing earlier but personalized custom to you and uh really cool stuff so again i'm not an affiliate i don't have a dog in the race other than i think they're amazing people and i love to promote amazing people and you know see them successful and i think they're just so applicable to the conversation we just had um yeah but other than that i think this was an awesome talk i wish somebody had this conversation for my benefit 10 years ago when i you know first started really kind of scaling up on my employees because it would have saved me so many mistakes Yeah,
0: I think, you know, we do put a lot of emphasis on the hiring side of the equation. We put a lot of work up front. We haven't even gotten to, maybe that's the second episode, what happens when they actually are hired because they end up still being interviewed like that whole training process is a whole other thing, but I will just stop it right here. But yeah, if you put the work in up front, you're saving yourself hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months of frustration by hiring the wrong person. Uh, and that is like from personal experience, having done it both ways, this way is way better and it's going to save you the business owner a lot. So we will leave all the uh, links and resources and things that we mentioned here in the show notes over at digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 313 until next week, everybody. See ya.